What I'd like to do <clears throat> over the next few uh, Wednesdays, and I, as I mentioned last time, I don't know how many Wednesdays that will be, uh, I want to talk about uh, five subjects for frequent recollection or reflection. Uh, this comes from uh, the Anguttara Nikaya of the Buddha. And what I'd like to do is just go through all five. Um, last week I began, and what I'll do, because I know that uh, every Wednesday, in a, in a sense, is a, uh, there's some people who were, were here last time, but there'll always be new people. And I'll be reviewing what was said first. Um, I think it's fine to hear some of these things many, many times. The reflections, this comes from the Anguttara Nikaya. The first one is, I am subject to aging. Aging is unavoidable. These uh, reflections or recollections or things to consider are a staple at every Buddhist monastery that I know of, that I've ever practiced at. Uh, therefore, monks and nuns and lay people and you're encouraged to uh, work them into your life in one form or another. Um, so the first one is, I am subject to aging. Aging is unavoidable. It's for us to reflect that we're not exempt from aging. I'm also subject to illness. Illness is unavoidable. If you have a body, of course it gets sick. I'm subject to death. Death is unavoidable. I will grow different, separate from all that is dear and appealing to me. Uh, what this is saying is that uh, even in our lifetime, uh, there are losses. We're separated from uh, people that we love, uh, things that we accumulate, uh, everything that comes together also disperses. And at death, uh, we have to leave it behind. We have to leave everything behind. Everything but, and that's the fifth one. I'm the owner of my actions, heir to my actions, born of my actions, related through my actions, and live dependent on my actions. Whatever I do, for good or for ill, to that will I fall heir. We should often reflect on this. Now, the fifth one, um, we'll be going through all five, and uh, the fifth one will be uh, perhaps the trickiest, because uh, one aspect of that is karma, and that implies that although the physical body dies, there's a mental continuum that moves on, there's a process. Although there's not a fixed self in the Buddhist teaching, a fixed substantial entity that incarnates or reincarnates, uh, there is a process that has some continuity and lawfulness. It's not arbitrary. Uh, however, uh, knowing that many of us in the West uh, either have no confidence in this teaching of rebirth or uh, we just think it's complete nonsense. And how can this help us? It is also applies to our present life. Even if we never were born before and never are reborn, uh, we live 
the effects of our karma, or let's say uh, the effects of our actions, right here and now. So it's, uh, and some of that is the most obvious karma when we speak and act in certain ways, uh, because the karma is enacted in our heart. And so even if no one else knows, we know. And we can hide from certain things for a while, but inevitably, there it is. So uh, I think we'll find, a, I hope we can find a way uh, of relating uh, to this subject for everyone. Also, uh, what I'd like to suggest in, in all of these uh, commentaries or reflect my own reflections on it, and I want to bring you in on it, it's not that uh, I have the answer, I don't know if anyone does on something uh, as profound as death. Um, The emphasis is not going to be on giving you so much information that you can get in any uh, book on Buddhism. The Tibetan, uh, Tibetan Buddhist doctrine is very, very well detailed uh, descriptions of what happens. Uh, whether they're true or not is for you to decide, for all of us to inevitably to find out. Uh, but what will be emphasized here is not so much giving you information which you can get in books rather easily, but on um, practice that is on uh, encouraging all of us to investigate firsthand our own relationship to everything that was just mentioned in our life, right here and right now. So it's, uh, it's, not, ju- it's, uh, it's not going to be a transmission so much of information, the Buddhist theory of death or rebirth. Of course, inevitably some of that will come up, but that's not the emphasis. Rather, it's for us to take a fresh look at our life as it is, uh, with these, as I found in my own life, extremely useful uh, reflections. Uh, and uh, I'll go into more deeply what I mean by reflections. Um, first off, um, if any of you have read some of the, the early teachings, the original teachings of the Buddha, there are often lists and there are lots of jokes about all these lists. I can't say it's true for all of them, but uh, many of the lists, as you, and here's one, five, um, when you live in them, live with them, and use them, and apply them, and examine them, and reflect on them, and investigate them, you'll see that they're not arbitrary at all. There's often a dynamic reason why they're together, as I'll try to suggest these five uh, form a, a family. There's a reason why all five are there. Uh, five, in a sense, oversees one through four. In fact, if it weren't for five, everything would just be kind of fatalistic. We would just all just get, we'd age, we'd get sick, and we'd die, and we'd lose everything, and so be it. Uh, So what's the point of practice? Five is what allows for options for some uh, radical transformation in how we take what happens to us. Although we must age, although we must get sick, although we must die, although we are separated from uh, what we love, how we take that, how we relate to that, uh, can vary tremendously to the point where you have a range of torment to the point where uh, it's not even a problem. Okay, um, what I <coughs> covered last time was uh, I began to briefly sketch out some of the value of these reflections. I want to give an overview, and I'm not sure that we'll get to the first one, 
specifically and in a thorough way, I'm subject to aging until perhaps next time. I'm not sure. We'll see how it goes. But I feel an overview is very, very important, and also uh, the questions last time were tremendously helpful, at least for me, to get a sense of our needs and uh, what you have brought here with you to help me uh, be as useful as I can be. Um, there are some benefits that come that are, uh, many benefits come from these reflections. Take the most dramatic one, perhaps, is the one on death. Uh, but all of them have an underlying, the first three, aging, sickness, and death. Uh, there's a way in which um, we can become complacent. Uh, there's a way in which we uh, suffer tremendously. We have tremendous fears that we have not come to know, we've not examined, fears of aging, fears of sickness, and certainly fears of death. Uh, and one of the purposes of reflections of this sort is if those fears are there, is to flush them out so that we can come to see them uh, in the light of practice. Now, my remarks really do assume that you're on at least some, on this path or a, a path, a spiritual path related to it. I think, uh, I don't know if it would be of much, how much help it would be to someone who's, uh, it's not that you have to be a Buddhist or have a Buddhist ideology orienting you or principles, but it is assuming that you either have begun a life of meditation practice or that you're close to beginning. Uh, I don't think my, any of, uh, much of what I say will make much sense otherwise or be of much use. Um, let's see how it goes. Why would you want to flush out fears uh, of, let's say, death? Uh, I don't think you would want to do it unless you were equipped to know what to do with these fears once they came up. And that's why it's so essential uh, for, for you to be uh, on a path. Uh, if you have some training, if you understand your mind a bit, if you've developed some of the the skills of working with your mind, at least a beginning to learn how to some mastery in the realm called mind, uh, then an invitation to whatever the problems are that are inside is an essential part of the practice because it's only if we can say hello to these problems that we can say goodbye. Otherwise, they dominate us and control us and influence us indirectly. Uh, to invite these or stimulate these to a person who's, let's say, extremely depressed or who doesn't have the meditative resources that I'm assuming here would be destructive and would not be a useful thing to do. So I just want to make that clear. Uh, in regard to um, aging, it's similar. I've started uh, introducing these kinds of teachings a few years ago, and so from time to time, people come into interviews now and will talk about uh, problems of aging. And I've learned a lot, uh, not just from my own aging, but hearing uh, the kinds of sometimes unexpressed fears and apprehension we have about this body aging. Uh, that as time unfolds, um, the body starts to lose some of its parts teeth fall out and it's uh, certain capacities weakened, capacities that we depended on, organs start to weaken and break down and so forth. Uh, we look different and 
we care about that fact. Our energy is different. How people see us or how we think people see us is different. Our limbs are a bit stiff when we get up in the morning. These things can be highly charged and bring tremendous torment, anguish, beyond what they are. So aging is happening. This is the slowest and the, the kind of the most uh, barely perceptible one. Uh, sickness and death can be instant and dramatic. They come in on you. <coughs> Aging is happening moment by moment, little by little. This is what's happening. Cells are dying, being replaced and dying, and uh, that process accelerates. And so, although each one of us must age, does it follow that we have to uh, be tormented by it? That we have to uh, suffer inordinately because of the inevitable aging of the body? The word inevitable is really important. It's natural. If you have a body, you must age, you must get sick, and you must die. If you don't want to participate in that process, don't get born. I don't know any other way around it. If you get born, that's what happens. Anyone disagree with that? Okay. Um, also, these reflections can counteract a certain arrogance or standoffishness or, uh, again, complacency that we develop, uh, a confidence in, a, in, a, in our health, in our, in our youth to begin with, a feeling of uh, somehow as if we're going to be young forever. Now, we have different age, ages represented here, and so... Uh, might be interesting once we start to talk to each other. Uh, but by and large, young people are not encouraged to learn things of this sort, and I, and I would like to uh, say something to that in a moment. Um, and as a result, we can be uh, cocky, uh, as if we'll be young forever, which of course we won't be, as if we'll have all that energy and bounce forever, which we won't. Uh, some reflection on it, some understanding of it, not only can temper that kind of uh, conceit, it's a kind of conceit, we don't think of it that way, uh, but can also save us suffering. Because when the mind becomes lulled into a certain kind of blindness like that, it can issue forth behavior that is uh, destructive. Uh, we're not clear. We're, in a sense, deluded. And this can affect us and other people. The other benefit that can come out of it, the psychic distance that sometimes exists between the age groups, can start to be diminished or even fall away. When you start to understand that we're all in this together, uh, those of you who have uh, jet black hair, uh, you will soon have hair my color. I don't know if it's gotten through to you yet. Okay. Uh, and as we reflect, we might realize that we're, all, we're really all the same. We're all in this together. We're comrades in aging, sickness, and death. This is a very important reflection, a very, very useful one, too. Um, it's used in the Thai Fars tradition. Uh, a lot of the teaching at this center uh, come from that, from influences from that uh, uh, particular tradition of Buddhist practice where the meditators would spend a lot of time uh, in the jungle. It's not really a forest. Forest, uh, when I went over there, I could go, oh, I'm going to practice in the Thai forest tradition. 
uh, when I got there, I realized it was a misnomer. It's a jungle. You can have, you have picnics in the forest. The jungle is different. There's snakes. It's a different feeling altogether, at least if you grew up in a city. It's the, it's the Thai jungle tradition. Uh, and that's being less and less uh, possible to practice because, uh, because of the denaturing of Thailand. Uh, but some of the practices that uh, would go on, some of you may have read it, and I, my own teacher uh, uh, told me of his own experiences where uh, meditators would go out into the uh, wild, the wilderness, and perhaps do walking meditation, uh, knowing that wild animals were around. And uh, Ajahn Mahabua told me this. He was uh, my teacher, also Michael and Narayan have studied with him. Uh, he described doing walking meditation in front, uh, and suddenly he looked up and there was this tiger just perched and watching him. And uh, one of the things that you could do, that people were encouraged to do, was to, of course, if you had fear, that would make your life dangerous. It would be, uh, the situation could become dangerous, because then the animal becomes frightened. People knew what they were getting into. These are not beginners, obviously. Uh, but... Uh, he described very poignantly once that uh, looking at the tiger and just looking at him with the tremendous compassion and understanding that you and I, we're companions in aging, sickness, and death, aren't we? Uh, and just kind of a, a kind of metta, kind of loving kindness that's uh, sent when you realize the obvious truth of it. Um, now, we don't have tigers in our environment, but what I found, I do use this uh, companions in aging, sickness, and death in my own practice a fair amount. Uh, anytime I see people in a certain way, or if I'm attending a meeting which may have some problematic aspects to it, uh, it has a way of cutting through any kind of pettiness. It has a way of leveling all the differences that we, are, that we human beings prize so much. We seem to have a great interest in distinguishing ourselves one from the other endlessly. Nations do it, ethnic groups do it. Uh, it's endless. It just seems to be accelerating now, or is it just that we have TV to see it? It seems like every week a new, a new group is discovered and a new country is about to be born. And we do it as individuals. And so sometimes we don't really see a person. What we see is uh, a race or an ethnic group or an age or a particular uh, occupational category. But when you uh, look at somebody and understand that they are companions in aging, suffering, and death, whether they know it or not, it can bring you very close to them, or it can melt the heart a little bit. Try it. I found it to be most effective. Um, when we come to illness, it's similar. You know, many illnesses are light. We catch a cold, and sometimes it's even a relief. We have a few days off and can kind of get babied a little bit and uh, read the books we'd wanted to read anyway and not have to go to work. Uh, but also we know that uh, not all illness is like that. Uh, some illness is uh, very much a sign of aging and a sign that uh, we're moving towards our death. And some illness is painful. Uh, and so forth. Uh, as we 
this, uh, these Wednesdays unfold, I want to, in concrete ways, talk over with you ways in which practice can help you age, ways in which practice can help you when you get sick. It's not going to be just a vague reflect on it. It's actually a practice. Uh, again, in the Thai forest tradition, uh, sickness is uh, really um, quite a resource. Uh, you're encouraged to... Uh, they have it pretty worked out. In other words, they've examined what happens when you get sick and the kinds of things that the mind goes through when you get sick, and also how to apply the practice. Uh, what the main thing is the attitude, is to view illness as an opportunity to practice rather than just a setback or an unfortunate uh, situation where you can't do what you'd like to do, but actually see it as a positive opportunity. And also, when it's a serious illness, as preparation for death. It's a kind of prep, uh, uh, a dry run. Uh, now, this will be more concrete when we... Uh, I'd rather not go into that this evening. Maybe, but right now I want to... This overview is important <clears throat> for, for the new people and to refresh the memory of those who were a few weeks ago. So that um, not only the minimum would be that uh, the aging process wouldn't be so painful, or maybe not painful at all for a rare few of us, uh, that not only that the illness, uh, when we become ill, that it wouldn't be so, uh, so painful or so uh, much of a problem emotionally, but actually to turn around, that where we would use these situations, the situations of aging, the situations of illness, to dramatically further our practice. In other words, it's not just coping or putting up with or uh, a minimal uh, adjustment. It is much more than that. It can be if you know how to practice uh, with these energies, because they're powerful energies once you let them in. Okay, uh, death. I think we all know. That's a big one. And we're very, very frightened of it. Uh, and the emphasis here, really, in these five reflections, is more on life. It's, we're learning how to shine the light of death on life. That's a bit what this reflection of the we're all comrades in aging, sickness, and death. You're using death, the, the obvious fact that we will die. It's not... Uh, debatable. We will die. We're using it to, sh to throw light uh, on life and to enhance life. And I, I'm going to go into that in a little bit of detail in a moment. Um, so what I'm talking about now is, is now. Uh, there have been many books and some really good ones coming out on how to be with the dying, how to die, and so forth. Uh, some of that will come up here as well. But this is for us, I don't know, I'm assuming that most or all of us are not dying except in a profound way, of course we are. Uh, that this reflection or this understanding of the inevitability of death can be used in such a way as to dramatically enhance our life. See, these practices are not exercises in uh, becoming morose, or uh, getting us all depressed. Actually, these are, if, if practiced correctly, they're not exercises in, in making us more morbid. And, uh, it is, it's not a morbid, morbid preoccupation with death. 
There are people who are preoccupied with death, and you could use the word morbid, but uh, we're going to be learning how to use this inevitable fact. And one thing we'll discover, which is not a small thing, is that what we're really frightened of is the idea of death. It's not death itself, that is, right at this moment, uh, you might have fear, and I don't know, even by mentioning the word, just saying that we all must die, or perhaps someone in your family has died, or perhaps someone is near death in your family. That's our state, that's our plight as humans. Maybe that arouses something as I, as I, as I mention it. Um, Sorry, I've lost my thread. If someone could help me. See, the early stages of senility is settling in. Yes, thank you. Uh, when the time comes to die, it'll be a moment just like this. We'll be somewhere. Maybe with people, maybe not. Maybe in a hospital bed, maybe at home. Maybe on anywhere. Death can come at any time. And we'll go into that in quite a bit of detail. It will be a real event. Right now, often the fear that we have is the idea of death. It's the use of thinking to create a future, to give uh, it's the use of time. And in that process, uh, we might as well be dead because we die before we're, we're dead in this way. We also put ourselves in a nursing home 20 years before we're there, worrying about what's going to happen when, if I should have to go into a nursing home or if I should get Alzheimer's. Uh, so practice can help us take care of now because right now it doesn't look like we are in a nursing home. And I don't think any, any of us is, I don't want to excuse me up there, we're not <laughs> in danger of dying this moment. Uh, so the, all the subtleties of, uh, here time is very big, and in Dharma language, uh, time eats us up. The, the, the challenge is, uh, and the, the challenge of practice is for us to eat time rather than to be eaten by it. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Here, here the time I'm talking about is psychological time, the kind of continuity that's made up by thinking uh, that creates, in a sense, an imaginary uh, life, an imaginary life uh, cycle or uh, period that's in the, in the mind. Um, and because of it, we suffer tremendously through comparison, through worry, and so forth. Eating it is uh, what we do in meditation, is we eat everything in meditation rather than be eating by it, eaten by it. Awareness finally, insightful awareness. It's not just a vacant gaze at things. Insightful awareness. Uh, burns everything up. That's the whole point of practice. Okay, the fourth, I will grow different, separate from all that is dear and appealing to me. Often that's the most painful one of all when we hear that. Uh, somehow, I've, in, just, just experientially talking to people, yeah, 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 I know we're going to die, I know, right. And we've thought of that many times. But so, sometimes we haven't uh, reflected on the fact of what happens when we die, or in the, as we get close, that we literally have to give everything up. It could be sometimes on the same day, you're fired, you lose your whole family, your house, everything you've collected, and your body, everything goes. And if you start to think about that, swallow hard, my God, I've worked so hard for my reputation, 
you know, my little book that I just wrote, uh, my rank in the corporation or the university or my Dharma title or uh, there's so many things that we worked hard to accumulate, to acquire, and then to protect. You mean these will all be taken away from us? Yes. Okay, so that one sounds gulp. Okay. Have you thought of that? Okay. Uh, some of what the fear of death may turn out to be, and this is going to be, uh, I'm not good, this, these are the generalizations. What I'm interested in is for each one of us. We, each one of us has to work with this in our own way. Um, that fear uh, that we must lose everything. Uh, an important aspect here is that whether you know it or not, if you're practicing Vipassana meditation or Zen or Tibetan Buddhism, and I can't, I, I'm not saying this isn't so in other religions or practices, I just don't know much about them. Uh, probably you've heard, if you've been in Buddhist circles, if you haven't heard the word attachment is suffering and letting go, uh, then you've had cotton in your ears. or uh, Because wouldn't you say that's one of the main things you hear until it's coming out of your ears? Okay. And a lot of what we're practicing from moment to moment, uh, liberation is uh, certainly in, in insight meditation, in Vipassana practice, liberation is, uh, is, is, is momentary. Uh, in uh, certain moments, it's, uh, it's a, f a freedom from non-clinging, from non-attachment in that moment. In the moment when you cling and attach, that's a kind of bondage or slavery. And so we go in and out all day long, grasping, getting hurt for it, uh, seeing into it. A moment of mindfulness, you're free in, those, in moments of mindfulness. And there also are dramatic kinds of letting go, of course, dramatic, what are called breakthroughs in Dharma terminology. Sometimes they happen in meditation. Not exclusively in formal meditation, can happen anywhere, where suddenly a big chunk of karma falls away because you understand it or a big problem falls away because you understand it. Um, in this sense, just the ordinary instructions that you've been practicing all along of Vipassana meditation is preparing you for the fourth one. You see, because what's so, so difficult is not that you have, we have to give up everything at the time of death. It's difficult because we're attached. It's not saying that, well, if this is the case, then uh, get rid of your house, your car, your book collection, your family, and everything, because it's going to be taken away anyway. Uh, that would be stupid, would make no sense. The suffering we're talking about is the, the attachment and clinging that we have. And so, just good, solid practice is working on that right now. Even if we never mention the word death, so that if you are practicing with some commitment, with some sincerity, on a daily basis, at least potentially it may be easier for you when the time of death comes because you've already been, you've been uh, rehearsing, whether you know it or not. You've, you've loosened that bond. You're not going to get so much rope burn. You know what I mean by rope burn? If you're holding on to a rope and let's say death is very powerful. If you're having a tug of war, I put my money on death. Okay? And if it's pulling and you're holding on, uh, your hands are going to get pretty badly burned better to let go, because it's over. Okay. So we're learning how to 
so learning how to live is really learning how to die. Can you see that? It's the same thing. In fact, when we finish, you're going to probably get angry at me because it's just another way of talking about the same old practice. It's the same instructions. It's just the day is going to come where the challenge will be these materials or aging or sickness or death. These are challenges to us. These are part of life. They're not uh, exotic. Not at all. In fact, that's part of the problem is that um, we have pushed them away and we've made them uh, not exactly exotic, but uh, we don't understand that they're normal, natural, ordinary, and we haven't learned how to live with them as a normal and natural part of life. So some of what we're learning how to do is exactly that. Um, So many things that I'd like to say, it's hard to, to narrow it down. So that what happens is I have nothing to say. Um, when we get to the fifth, uh, and I'm going to say the, the least about this, um, I'll hint a little bit. Uh, according to the Buddhist teachings, this is in terms of rebirth, although the physical body dies, uh, there is a mental continuum that moves on. And so that although perhaps you have to leave your house behind and your car and your reputation and all of your outfits and whatever, we have to leave that behind, uh, the inner work that you've been doing, in other words, who you are, you can't leave that behind. You're stuck with yourself. Now, whether you look at that as within the, the limits of this lifetime, that is, uh, what you're doing, in a sense, is creating yourself. We're making ourselves. We, we come upon the scene. We're born and we find ourselves being a certain way at childhood. And then we have to learn how to live with that. And if you've started on the path of practice, it's an intervention. You start to realize, well, I don't know how I got to be as goofy as I am, but here I am, and here are some tools to now begin to take a look at that. And that everyone who begins to practice, that's what we do. Uh, what can we do about what's come before? We can't. And so the, uh, the part of the beauty, at least of this practice for me, is that the materials you work with are you as you are. Uh, perfect. Who else can you be anyway? You have to be who you are. And so that's what we practice with. Um, so that follows you. So that even if you lose everything, even in this lifetime, you don't lose what's inside. And that depends on how you live then. Uh, the Buddhist teaching is, first and foremost, training in mind, training in the mind. The assumption, which to me is not really an assumption, but it may be to you, is that uh, if you really want to, know, to learn how to live, the mind is the most important. By mind, I mean heart, too. It's not just thinking. Hardly. It's much more than that. Uh, so, in a sense, the most valuable reason for having a life is so that you can... Uh, develop some mastery with the mind, because it's the mind that's creating everything, that's producing our life. That's, uh, and so it has to do with uh, how we shape that mind. We're the shapers of it. It's like if you have had no training and you're drunk all the time 
and you're trying to drive a car and you wonder why you go off the road and keep crashing and keep getting arrested because you don't know what you're doing. Well, we're driving our car, you know, uh, it's us. We're driving this body in a sense. The analogy isn't totally off. Uh, and so we're working on the mind and in that sense, uh, karma is instant. You know, that is there, uh, I think one reason that uh, many scientifically minded, modern, uh, rationally minded people are drawn to Buddhism is, in part at least, uh, a tremendous emphasis on the lawfulness of nature, of which we are part, and of which our mind is a part. It's all considered, that's what Dharma, one meaning of Dharma, the way things are. And so, if you begin to understand the law of cause and effect, not theoretically, not merely theoretically, but the law of cause and effect as you generate causes and effects, as you start to see the consequences of certain ways of speaking, of certain ways of acting, everything that we do seems to have an effect. And if you start paying attention, you start seeing this, and that gives us the possibility of, in a sense, re- uh, learning how to live by revising how we live, because we've seen what produces suffering and what doesn't, what's beneficial. So, from that point of view, the fifth, and we'll go into this a lot, it's, uh, uh, is going to be very, very helpful in terms of uh, how we work with one through four. Okay. Let me uh, move on in terms of um, what uh, can be valuable. Uh, why the Buddha gave these teachings in the first place. We've mentioned that um, these sources of apprehension can be flushed out. Illness, uh, aging, uh, death, and so forth, so that we can come to know them and suffer less. And you might say, well, that's good enough reason for it. But there's an even stronger reason why the Buddha felt that these reflections were so important. Uh, and that's why I mean, if you're not a person of practice, this may not be of, as interesting to you. And that is to inspire us to practice, uh, to light a fire under our bun, to give more intensity to our practice. Uh, This is uh, something that's, uh, uh, to me, obvious. And if you've practiced for a while, maybe it is to you too. Um, That uh, practice is arduous. It's demanding. It asks a lot of us. Uh, It asks us to, uh, in a sense, it's the hardest job there is to know yourself. And to, uh, it's also, at least for some of us, the most fulfilling thing you can do. And practical, because it has consequences in all our relationships and work and so forth. Uh, But what the Buddha is suggesting is if you understand that you don't have forever, if you understand that uh, if you have a a rebirth, uh, of course, scheme of things, uh, death, rebirth, death, rebirth, then the kinds of uh, rebirth you have have to do with how you live. How you you live has to do with self-understanding. Self-understanding is enhanced dramatically through practice. And so it's essentially an attempt to give us tremendous strength uh, to uh, empower us to practice, to encourage us to practice. That is, we don't have forever. 
Now there are some, if you read the, the ancient Buddhist texts, you'll hear things in all the traditions, something like this. And um, I know some of this will not be appropriate for many of you here. So just listen to it, think about it, and I'm going to suggest a way that, of how you take it. What is uh, suggested is that the availability of these teachings, of Dharma teachings, in other words, the uh, teachings that describe how it is and, and practices that help you put those teachings into practice are extraordinarily rare. To have a human body is extraordinarily rare. In the, in the Buddhist cosmology, uh, the human form is, uh, is rare. There's so many other things that we could be so many other kind of levels of uh, existence that we could be uh, living our life out. Uh, hell realms, heavenly realms, and all kinds in between. In the Buddhist scheme of things, the human realm is optimum for enlightenment. Uh, some of the realms uh, in this cosmology are so joyful. This is not liberation, because they come to an end. They crash, and then you have, you're stuck again. Uh, some of these, uh, let's say, heaven realms are so uh, blissful and joyful, there's no incentive to practice. Why bother? I mean, just bliss out. Uh, others are so hellish, there's so much torment and pain, that you're overwhelmed and you can't practice. It just The human situation, which of course can go to either of those extremes within planet Earth, uh, has a nice blend for many of us of being... Uh, happy enough, there's enough sources of joy, and also enough suffering sprinkled in there to get us to look and to inspire us to do something about things. So it's considered, whether you agree or not, it's considered to be uh, a unique happening. So to just have a human form is rare in the universe. Um, if you have a form, then the next thing that's rare is for, the, for a Buddha to have appeared. Uh, there are whole huge chunks of time where no teaching is available. So although you might be born in a human form, there is no Buddha. And the, the Buddha was not the only Buddha. There have been many Buddhas. And if you want to take that broadly, there have been many wise uh, beings who, uh, at least potentially, provided us with help. Um, so that we're in... Uh, if you're born in a human form, at a time when, let's say, the Buddha was alive, which according to what we read was, must have been very potent in terms of practice, people would hear a talk and get enlightened. Of course, perhaps they were very ripe, not perhaps, they were. But also the power of, the teach, the, of where that teaching was coming from. Also to have the conditions all assembled, uh, adequate health, uh, adequate finances, that is, if you're starving, it's an insult to uh, tell people they should meditate. You need to be, they need to be fed and clothed and need medical care and attention. Uh, so to have so many conditions, just think of what's going on right now in the Northeast, and this is a small part of it. All of us here, we have, I'm speaking in general, uh, we, are, we have bodies, we're here, the teachings are available, uh, we have sufficient leisure and money and uh, books are available and TVs available and uh, this building came to be, and that's another story, it came out of nowhere. Uh, and there are other buildings that it, it, it come to be. Um, so let's say you don't have 
a rebirth perspective, or it's, it's okay, it sounds like it could be, but it's still speculative, theoretical, and finally, in a moment of honesty, you just don't know, and that's fine. Forget about other realms, hell realms, heavenly realms. Look at this one. If you just look at planet Earth, you can see that much of the planet is not in a position to take advantage of these teachings. The needs of some of the humans on planet Earth now are much more primitive or basic, starvation, war, and so forth. Um, the availability of the teachings is not everywhere. All these other resources, adequate nutrition, adequate hygiene, climate, uh, you know, if we thought about it, you just see that there's a lot that we take for granted that has come together in a certain way. Uh, if I told you the story of how this center started, it was sort of, all of a sudden, everything came together. So many things came together after uh, quite, a, quite a few years of no one having any interest in these things and just a few of us wandering around, babbling on and on about it. Uh, and then it's, it seems to have mushroomed. Now, this may sound rather self-serving, you know, sort of like he's saying that what he's... <laughs> You know, his product is the best product in town, and aren't we all lucky to be here listening to him talk about uh, his, this fantastic brand? I really don't mean this is not a missionary activity or I'm not trying to convert you to anything. Um, in the text, they'll talk about, in some of these ancient commentaries, to rejoice of the possibility that you have these conditions, they've, they've been assembled. I can honestly rejoice at it. I do from time to time. I'll reflect and how did I get to be so lucky to run into this teacher and that situation and this person who helped out with money and that one helped out with a place to live and this one helped out. You know, like, how did I get... But the reason I can rejoice honestly is because I've been practicing for quite a few years and the, there's been some tangible fruit that's come out of it. So I know my life before I had any of these understandings, and I know my life since. And so for me, I can honestly rejoice and say, thank you, Buddha, thank you for all these generations of people who kept this teaching alive through all kinds of conditions and have transmitted it to me. Um, I'm not much on uh, icons, but in my meditation room upstairs, I do have the pictures of my teachers. Uh, because I know that I couldn't have done it by myself. I know that I needed their help and that they gave it freely and generously. And so, for me, it's an honest thing. I can, uh, I, uh, can honestly be happy that I've been born at this time or this place with this available for me and the reminder that I don't have forever, that I'm going to get sick, I'm going to get old, I'm going to die, can encourage me to take advantage even further, to really uh, go deeply into this, to really live my life uh, using the, this rare opportunity that I have. Uh, do you see what I'm getting at? Now, those of you who are newer to the practice, you, I don't see how you could. You know, I'm not asking you to pretend to have it. That would be stupid. All you can have is a little bit of faith that maybe there's something real in these things. Uh, perhaps it begins with the ideas, perhaps they're convincing to some degree, or sensible, or you've had them yourself, that they're not so far away from what you've thought. And that faith can give you the energy to begin to practice. And then perhaps you'll see that 
you've stumbled upon something that is useful for you. And by, by the way, I don't mean uniquely Vipassana. What I know best is Vipassana. And I've had some experience in Zen and Tibetan Buddhism. So I feel, to me, that's one body of teachings and practice. So, uh, but you know, you can, even if you don't have this perspective and you haven't been practicing for long, there can be gratitude that begins to come once you taste some fruit. It doesn't have to be a whole uh, orchard, but some fruit. Uh, and even if you don't believe in past lives or future lives, just look around. Just look around. It's a, uh, it's a ray of light, or at least hope, that there's some away, a, a teaching that is practical and oriented towards sanity. Uh, with actual techniques, a technology that, that can help us do it. It's not just beautiful words for us to wax lyrical and get uh, teary-eyed about. There are some actual things that can be done, and it's hard work. Any of you who have done these things and continue to you know it is. So the question is, it's laboring in the vineyard. Are these the grapes you want? You know, is this the kind of wine you want to get? I don't know. I do know, for me. And so for me, the reflection on death uh, just enhances that. Now, what it does, I think for anyone who, who uh, doesn't use it in a morbid way, when you reflect on your own, how fragile this body is, that it must age and that it must die, uh, what it does is it, it enhances our sense of how precious life is, or it can. Someone can go in the opposite direction, you know, and just see life as worthless. Well, uh, we know that people do conclude that. People commit suicide. Okay. So, in general, it conveys that life is precious. The fact that things are impermanent doesn't mean they're worthless. Please get that straight. No one's saying that. The fact that things are impermanent can make them even more poignant. The fact that we're uh, comrades in aging, sickness, and death doesn't mean that we have to become obtuse, indifferent, callous, and cruel. It could mean that we understand that we have a limited amount of time together. We have a limited amount of time together. And uh, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to waste time in petty squabbles and uh, ego games and uh, trivia, finally, most of which we have to give up at the end anyway? Or are we going to take a look at life? And so what this can do is sharpen our priorities. You don't have to conclude that Vipassana is, uh, that's not necessarily the only conclusion. But what it can stir you to do is to take a hard look at your life, to see how you're living, and it can help you with your priorities, just how should I live. It can enhance your sensitivity, your intensity. It can, this is something that I've seen, because I've been doing these death awareness reflections for a number of years now. Um, very often in life, we don't live our understanding. We know exactly what we have to, to do, or what, exactly what we have to stop doing, and we don't. It's very, very clear. We betray ourselves over and over again, or we cope and put up with, and we delay endlessly something that we know needs to be done. Uh, this uh, perspective of death awareness sometimes makes it uh, harder to get away with that, with putting up with, looking the other way, coping, and all those other words that don't really, they're not very satisfying, are they? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, a reflection on the fact that we don't have forever can actually 
help us become more decisive. Okay. Uh, so from the Buddhist point of view, life is precious. It's a precious opportunity uh, to grow in wisdom rather than just in age or weight. Uh, it's for refinement. It's the ultimate refinement. It's refining our life. Refining our life is refining the mind because everything flows from that. It's putting the body in proper perspective. It's beginning to see that bodies must age, get sick, and die. It's learning how to come, become uh, more comfortable with that idea. Um, okay. The kinds of, uh, of learning that I'd like for us to do, as I mentioned, it's, uh, it's direct and immediate and intimate. Uh, next time, when we meet, what I'd like to do is go over this understanding of, of intimacy as a, a core understanding and practice. That is, you could even say that uh, Dharma practice is the practice of intimacy. It's not just intimacy with another person. And then the question becomes, what is real intimacy? Some of what is called intimacy in the romantic, sentimental press, I would say is not particularly intimate. Uh, it's intimate with, uh, first and foremost, yourself, but it's also with nature and so forth. Um, as, so I'm going to try to clarify that. I, I just want to begin to put that on your mind. It's to relate th to things directly without separation. Uh, not with a whole bunch of concepts between us and what's happening, a whole bunch of ideas and expectations uh, and notions, but rather with innocence, simplicity, naivete, um, openness. Uh, when we come to such challenges as aging, sickness, and death, I feel that a lot of what we have is a kind of... Um, What could be closer to us and more obvious that we're going to uh, age and die? And yet, what do we push furthest away, these kinds of things? So we become kind of intimate strangers with ourselves. But in general, I think the practice is pointing to that intimate stranger is why we practice. That is, in a sense, the mind is with us all day long. And it's going on and on all day long, and yet we hardly know it because we're so busy being directed by it and doing certain things that we're intimate. What could be closer than your mind? There it is. Ba -ba 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 -ba. It's going on and on and on. And yet, as you know, if you've started to do any kind of awareness practice, it can be quite a revelation when you actually turn around. Instead of looking at the stars or people or machinery or uh, whatever it is that we look at, sports, movies, books, every, we'll look at anything but ourselves. When you turn it around, you realize that we hardly know ourselves. We have thoughts about how we know ourselves and, and uh, the scenarios about if someone asks, we can tell our story, the story of me and my life. We, we can tell it very with great precision and charm and, uh, you know, that's not what I'm getting at. It's a different kind of knowing that we have to know. So I feel that there's that tension between something that what could be uh, closer and more central to being alive than the fact that we must age and sick, get sick and die? And yet, 
it's not part of our world. It's kept at a distance. It's something that's going to happen at the end sometime, rather than our realizing that from the moment of, of birth, we're walking hand in hand with death. Uh, we're on the Titanic. It's, I don't know if you realize that. You don't have to take a cruise. You know, this is the Titanic. It's 331 Broadway is the Titanic. It isn't. And we're dancing and we're putting on our evening gowns and tuxedos and uh, as if, uh, of course it's a Titanic. The re- I think part of the, the uh, fascination with that theme is that it uh, deals with it like something special out there and yet at some level we understand that this is out of our control and inevitable. And so I actually think it was good to, if you're going to go, some of those people went down and dig, I didn't see the movie, but I've heard a lot about it. Uh, kind of went out in style, I guess. The, ba- the orchestra, apparently. Uh, so what I'd like to, in my own remarks and in your participation, I'd like to open up the questions. The emphasis not to be on so much on um, Buddha's doctrine, which is uh, helpful, uh, but on uh, us really talking about it and learning about it firsthand. There's a, um, a Chinese teaching, Ch- uh, Chan teaching, uh, Chinese Zen, uh, where there was a, a very well-known Dharma master who was giving a talk, and many people would come to hear his talks. And um, in the back of the room was a very old monk, in uh, kind of tattered clothes, symbolic of inner richness, but not outer. And so this uh, famous Dharma master was about to give his talk, and he was a monk, and saw this old monk who had seniority over him, and that's the custom in China, and he asked him, please come up and sit up front with me. So he sat down, uh, actually, where you're sitting, Jennifer. And so then this famous monk started to give his Dharma talk. And uh, the old monk started going like this, nah. <laughs> and he started, he saw people were watching, and he looked, and after everything he said. <laughs> and uh, this Dharma master was going on about the Buddha said, and this great Zen master said, and finally he got fed up with the old man. And he said, um, is it that you just don't like what I'm saying? Or you disagree with everything that I'm saying? And he said, well, it's something like this. I've come a long way. I've heard you're a famous Dharma teacher, and I've come a long way uh, to hear your talk. And all I hear is dead teachings about the Buddha said this, and this said, the Zen master said that. It's all dead. And then he reached over and pinched. He pinched the, Dhar- the famous teacher, and the Dharma teacher went, ow! And then he said, ah, that's what I came here to hear. <laughs> It's, well, we, it's alive. We need, we need uh, teaching that's in this moment about our life. Now, doctrine is helpful. It's very important. But insofar as it's like a menu takes you to a meal, but if you spend your life thumbing through menus, I think you'll die of starvation. So it's in that spirit uh, that I'd like for us to explore what I think is a difficult subject. It's very difficult to talk about or teach. Um, <coughs> I, I don't know if there's anyone who thinks they're an expert on the subject. I know I'm not. Uh, first of all, how could I be? 
when I die, I'll let you know. I mean, because the, the, final, the final exam will be how I die. Anyway, um, why don't we take a break? I had brought some quotes from two of my teachers, Krishnamurti and Vimala Thakkar, but maybe we'll get to them, maybe not. Um, I often don't get to read. Maybe I didn't want to read them because then you'd pinch me. But anyway, uh, those of you who need to leave now will be, be fine. And why don't we take a short break and then uh, we can have questions and answers. Let's uh, talk this over. Anything that's on your mind, we can talk over together. Doesn't have to be a question or a problem. It could be just your own reflection, please. Um, it's like you shed one body and then this end take on another and another, and all the while that fixed entity is learning lessons and refining themselves. The Buddha said there is no such thing. That all there is is this process. So uh, the process generates conditions, and uh, what now trying to uh, discern all the implications of karma, like the question you asked. Uh, the Buddha warned against not doing that because it will drive you crazy. He listed a number of things that will drive you to, to, to distraction. One was that because you can't possibly know or figure it out. Um, but at least theoretically, uh, the answer is that this process unfolds. And uh, see, you're imagining a cockroach from your human brain. and uh, you can't understand how it could learn anything. Okay. Now, uh, personally, I don't know that process the way I know some other things. And so that's why I can honestly say I don't know. But, uh, and I don't know that information would be of much help. Why would you want to know the answer to that? What prompted the question? Yes. And, um, and I also have wondered whether, well, for what, I guess I'm asking this question not to Larry Rosenberg, but to the Larry Rosenberg who studied all these old Burmese guys and all these old Tibetan guys, etc. Um, and I also wondered if, according to our karma, if we've lived, and by the way, I also understand the element of delayed karma. Yeah. yeah. If if it makes any sense according to those theories that somebody who's lived a pretty good life but not perfect might have a brief reincarnation as a cockroach before he goes on. See, the, a yeah. Better yeah. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't dream of trying to answer those that, that question. Um, What, I'll rep uh, repeat again, what uh, the, the Buddha is saying is there's no way to understand, let, let's say the urge to understand what might have happened to your husband, that's fine. But uh, can you get any uh, real answer? You can go to mediums, and mediums can, t people, do, you know, I've, and they will tell you, uh, they're in, in direct contact 
uh, uh, with your husband. They might say that. And maybe they are. Uh, but we know that's notoriously unreliable. Okay. Uh, so that uh, what is more practical is for you to send love to him. And wherever he is, for that to be, to help him along, wherever that journey is. Now, according to the theory of karma, uh, yes. In other words, uh, although his body got killed, uh, his journey is not over, hardly. You know? So that process keeps going. Now, you're, a you're asking for a technical, minute uh, details on that particular, whether what a cockroach would be or what would happen, what might happen, the other question you have. Uh, there's no way I could answer that. I know, I know you don't mean it. What? Good. Good. A good thing uh, to do for the departed is to send metta, send loving kindness. Now, for those of you who don't believe, you feel like, let's say, you feel it's all nonsense, uh, that uh, you just go into the ground and that's it. Uh, so you're sending metta. You're, uh, it's good for you. you. Don't you feel better when you send metta? Maybe it's helping the other person, but if there is no other person to help, at least it's helping you, so you can't lose. Uh, it's helping you in this life because it's making you a more loving person. It's helping to do that. Um, seriously, what is in back of your question? See, this is what I mean by, I want to ouch kind of dimension. I want, I want to relate on the level of ouch. Uh, what, what's underlying your curiosity? This can be found in books probably better than I can deliver. Can you, you may not know, but if you, if you do know, about you. See, it's about yeah, you. No, it's about, you know, my mixed karma and what you know, I wonder. I mean, I, you know, I'm just interested in... Okay. Uh, okay. What... Uh, so you wonder. I uh, see... It's not just me. You know, I, you just piqued my curiosity discussing this thing about mm -hmm. um, the enduring mind stream. Mm -hmm. Okay, but let's say you wonder about it. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to be unrelenting. I'm concerned about you, okay, and I'm concerned about your karma. And your karma is happening right at this moment. That is, we're planting seeds all the time. Everything that we, uh, whatever is happening is, uh, uh, is a residue, is having an impact, okay? So that uh, what would be, according to what we just went through, the important thing is, let's say, to understand that you don't have forever, or if you believe in rebirth and the possibility of uh, who knows what, uh, then uh, practice with your life as it is now so that uh, the, the, you create condition, causes that produce uh, happiness rather than suffering. For example, and I'm taking a liberty here, but you gave me the, the right to do it. Maybe. You, can, you, can, you say you talk about, your friend talks about retirement. You, who talks about retirement? My friend talks about retirement. And what do you talk about? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, She's planning for her retirement, but I'm planning for my death. Right. Now, again, so depending on how you use that, you, uh, that could be useful, but only you know. But uh, very often, that kind of... Uh, let me give you... This is a, a growing kind of apprehension that people have. It actually comes up in interviews. Social Security is going to go bust. Uh, and I will, I will reach the, the age when I'm entitled to it, and then there'll be no money for me, and I'll be destitute, and I'll be in Harvard Square, can you spare some change? You know, and this kind of thing. Um, so, uh, practice of this sort can uh, stimulate you 
Uh, not that that's stupid, because it may, that may happen. But it can stimulate you to examine that carefully, to see that if you keep going over that, you know, like if your mind is spending a lot of time in the future, because that's what it sounds like, then uh, my question would be, is what is that doing to the quality of now? So you're not dead yet, and your friend isn't retired yet. Now to make some sensible uh, plans about how to retire in a creative way, it's not that there's anything off in that. But if the person is, um, it's as if you're already gone. Uh, so you have to see what that's doing for you. So that, uh, for example, should you have fear about Social Security and being and dying uh, or getting uh, aging without any financial support, which can be terrifying, then uh, rather than cycling through that day in and day out, you might as well be in Harvard Square, you know, with a sign. I used to practice insight meditation. I'm so, you know, I'm sober. I'm, you know, not that it's a joke. It's just because, you know, some of the people there are, are suffering tremendously, and I, I don't mean to be flippant about that. But the point is, if the mind is doing that while you're here, you know, where you have, still have your breathing and alive and have resources and uh, can meditate and so forth, then uh, this is a, a wake-up call to learn from it, uh, start a savings account, you know, that it, just in case it does go... No, I'm, uh, no, I'm concerned with my Buddhist path, actually. I am concerned about practice. Uh -huh. And I'm also concerned since none of my relatives are Buddhists, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, um, what happens... Do you think yeah, Buddhists have a... My death, and... No, 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 because I want to have a Buddhist... You mean a beautiful... Pre-death, pre and, uh, okay. and 49 days, and, you know... I How do you know that there is such a thing? Okay, you're entitled to believe it. But do you think that there are, like, Buddhist hells and Catholic hells? And I don't think so. No, 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 I, no but, um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to educate my non-Buddhist cousins mm -hmm. in, in what I believe mm -hmm. so that they won't um, do, you know, do stuff around my death. Okay. In other words, you like to arrange, let's say, the, 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 your situation so that it's uh, congenial and appropriate for you, yeah. and you want to prepare. I'm also concerned about yeah. I would put it the other way around. Yeah. I would put it the other way around. Take care of practice, and the rest will take care of itself. Um, for example, uh, you know, the best thing you can do for, let's say, the, to have an easy death, or a peaceful death, or a death that's not... Uh, full of bewilderment and, and torment and so forth, uh, is to practice now. Because, see, at the time of death, wh what are the instructions here and wherever else some of you practice? They're, uh, over and over and over again, you he we're, we're learning how to steady the mind, how to make it strong and clear and calm, so that it can uh, examine the present moment, not be overwhelmed by the present moment, so that it can look deeply into, the, into your experience, uh, uh, what's most alive for you in a certain moment. And when the time comes to die, that same, the instructions don't change. They don't change. It's just that the stage set changes. There's you, only you're not sitting at CIMC waiting for the bell to ring because your knee hurts. You're in, uh, you're in a bed somewhere waiting for the Grim Reaper, you know, to come in. Okay. But in the meantime, 
In the meantime, it's the same principle. Uh, the, the best death you can have is if you can stay conscious. See, and, and in terms of how to best uh, prepare yourself, let's say for those 49 days and for the bardo state, is always the same. Wakefulness, wakefulness. The Buddha is an awakened one. So that uh, uh, if you put your priority in that, then uh, not only will that take care of what you would like, is let's say a, uh, a harmonious death that's meaningful, although you know, for you to have that confidence now, and for it to happen when, it, when the time does happen, but also it will make your present time much more uh, important and alive. Uh, the fact that we age, you, you know, one of the things that uh, when we get into aging, it's as if um, we're finished, you know, some, uh, when we reach a certain point. Uh, I don't know about you, but I found that uh, certain things improve with age dramatically. And uh, although the body becomes less able to do certain things, if you train the mind, the mind more than compensates for that. So that your present can be enriched and in the process of enriching your present by using the opportunity to practice, you're also taking care of the time when the time does come to die. It's really, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. I'm going to be saying that in different ways over and over and over again. Yeah. Please. Uh, yes, in the, in the practice, I, I, this is my first time here. And, uh, I expected some kind of instruction for the sitting. Uh, you know, I've done Different types of things. Yeah, that, 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 you've done what? Yes. I don't know, was it a phrase or a No, no, thing? no. It, unfortunately, this is not the evening to learn that. Um, <clears throat> we have drop in, uh, beginners drop in groups on Monday from 6 to 7.15. And there, sometimes there are, uh, there's a beginner practice group that goes for eight weeks. And uh, I couldn't give you the instructions now, but uh, in a nutshell, what we're learning is how to, um, to have awareness and equanimity, even-mindedness and awareness, of our experience. And we use things like the breath, walking, uh, but essentially what you would be practicing with is your life as it is, both sitting and also throughout the day. It's, so it's an awareness practice. Uh, but I can't go into the details now for obvious reasons. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more specifically about uh, the reflection part of Yes, of any good, of this, um, good. Just how to do it. Yes. Um, <clears throat> let me tell you how I use these reflections. They have quite a few different applications. One is, uh, a reflection is, uh, you take it up and you just uh, turn it over in your mind. Let's say, hmm kind of take it inside. You kind of uh, present it to the mind as a teaching. Like, I know, I know I will get sick. Yeah, but you know, let's say when you do metta, loving kindness, okay, uh, let's say when you say, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I be free from suffering. And it, to begin with, it can be mechanical, and some people have a hard time with it. But then at a certain point, you really hear what you're saying. You hear that you're wishing yourself well. You hear that you, uh, may I be happy, you know, it sort of it starts to become enlivened, and the, okay. So here, what you're doing is um, you're taking these words, which are pointing to something, and uh, if the mind is very calm and concentrated, um, you can take it inside and 
um, I'm subject to aging. Uh, there's no exemptions for this one. Hmm. And then sometimes that might bring things up, which you would then practice with. You'd be aware of, oh my God, it is true. But um, so the idea becomes more alive to you. It starts to sink deeper and deeper and deeper. But quite honestly, that hasn't been the main value for me. Uh, these have just been themes. Uh, what I'm going to emphasize is what, what you might call naturalistic observation. They're putting certain items in our, on the agenda, like signs saying, hey, have you noticed that you're getting older? Uh, and so uh, they're obvious uh, when you see it in other people. You see, uh, I was with um, Paul Newman, I guess, was in a film where he played an, an older person. Not played, he, you know, he was played. <laughs> Okay. And he had a prostate problem, and uh, there were three women who were his generation, uh, we, uh, and they saw it, and they were humorous about it, but how upset they got. You know, it was sort of like, how could he have prostate? You know, he's our pinup boy, you know, and, uh, uh, but he does. They were meditators, and so uh, that produced something in them. You know, like, why am I so anxious? Because Paul Newman has, plays the part of somebody with a prostate problem. It's because uh, I'm Paul Newman, you know. So then, you see what I mean? Uh, or you wake up in the morning and your knees are stiff, and suddenly the thought comes, uh, boy, I'm not getting any younger. Oh, boy. And then, then the, the mind takes off and starts embroidering and proliferating and building. It's a whole scenario, but, you know, you have arthritis and you're, you know. What? Yeah. And so... Uh, in, in short, life is the teacher. There's a, there are teachings wherever you look. Uh, there are people walking down the street like this. You know, then there are little children cr crawling along the floor. Uh, uh, it's sort of to deeply reflect. Both De in practice and... Oh, yeah. Yeah. But for me, what's been much more rich is not taking it up as a formal word. You can uh, key it to the breath, if you like. It, uh, it can be very helpful. From time to time to take it up and, and to reflect on it. But uh, life keeps giving us examples. You know, stores that shut down that were there for, I might have mentioned it last week, the last time, you know, that you've been shopping at, buying books at for years, and suddenly it's not there, and there's a different kind of, uh, a, a dish that gets chipped. You know, you suddenly notice it. Well, what does that have to do with all this? It's all the same. You know, this was my wonderful crockery I bought. This is imported from, you know, the moon or wherever you got it from, you know. And, and there it is, chipped. You know, like, yeah, and we're chipped too, you know. So that dish is teaching you. So the point is, uh, they're teaching uh, a leaf falls from a tree. It's not to walk around obsessed with you. Know, but, but the teachings are everywhere. They're just no students. So, you know, uh, so that, that's a part of it. Uh, uh, and... I, personally, I find what invigorates the practice very much uh, when we examine our own life in this way. Then it's firsthand, uh, and we also understand our friends and everyone else who's going through this, the parents and children and so forth. And the phrases are a helpful catalyst you know, to do that. Um, but there are other, uh, for, for example, uh, illness. When you're sitting on a retreat, and you just finished one, right, and you have a lot of pain in, your, in the body, did you have any discomfort or pain in the body during the retreat? Sure. Okay. You're practicing for the time when the time comes to die. Now, if we called it that, no one would come to a retreat. <laughs> you know, but um, 
it's just, well, let's put it more positively. It's a bonus. Not only are you learning how to, how to get comfortable with discomfort, which is a tremendous asset in life, but should the time come, it doesn't mean you necessarily will be in pain when you die, but often it is so, that you will have already had practices to how to, and that's what I meant, it's the same practice, only the challenge may be greater because uh, the scenery is different and it's, it's literally death. Uh, so these, in a sense, are agenda, agenda items. They kind of, uh, they keep reminding you about something that we don't seem to want to give much attention to. Do you see? Yeah. Oh, excuse me. But there are other uh, methods that we'll be, we will introduce, like take your breath. This is another way of putting it. Uh, you breathe in, you breathe out. You breathe in and out. We had a practice group here last year, and I found that one of the most helpful for some people was simply to go, they're already meditating with the breathing. For the gentleman who asked the question about the technique, we use breath awareness a lot here to get started. Um, people were doing a lot of awareness with breathing, which we normally do. But then if you just add the following little suggestion, uh, it suddenly becomes maranasati, or death awareness. It's a different practice. That if you breathe in, and then you breathe out, and then you don't breathe in again, you're dead. And so you, you, you start to realize that in contemplating the breathing, your life is literally hanging by a breath. So now you've, uh, you're cultivating something a little. You know, you're giving it a twist. It's not just pure breath awareness as it is. Well, even the there, even if I never said anything, if you follow the breath enough, at a certain point you understand that what you're being aware of is life itself. Life is coming in, wastes are going out. Life is coming in, wa and you understand that you're aware of the, when people say, I get bored following the breath. Um, you see what they're getting bored with. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there are other ways to enter. You know, for one person, that did it. For some people, that did it a lot better than these words. Okay. And there are the guided meditations. Um, cemetery contemplations, working with, okay, we can go on and on. Yeah, but you see, yeah. Personally, what has been most rich, and none of the formal things, although they've been helpful, has been just life itself. It's so, it's, it's out there, it's all over the place. If you're just receptive and have a, a keen interest in learning from what is happening. It's a normal part of life, to be born, to get, to age, to get sick and die. It's not weird. Right, and as you said, I mean, that one of the most valuable things is that as we experience this ourselves, you know, as we realize, oh, you know, I turned 50 this year, and, and mm -hmm. you know, things are changing. For mm -hmm. me, a lot of things, um, that my arrogance, I just feel so much more humble yes. about everything. I understand. I'm sure I have a lot more to learn. But okay, let's say... Okay, let's say on the, I don't know what, if you can remember, let's say, let's say your 50th birthday. Mm -hmm. If that brought up anything, then that's what you would practice with. Mm -hmm. let's, let's say it's a party. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. There was, okay. Yeah. But it, it could also bring up, oh my God, and then all the bad jokes about it. 50 yeah. years young, ha, ha, ha. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, for me, I mean, I think that I've just always been, you know, physically active. I've always been able to sort of do whatever. And, turning 50 and also, you know, my age in terms of menopausal things, there's just ah, stuff exactly. that I can't control anymore. Hey, so this, is the, this is what we're talking about. Okay. You know, it's been really hard to get to that place of just saying, I cannot 
control this anymore. You know, I can't. Okay, you, you go, it's very rich and you're going too quickly for me. Okay. Um, the practice would be not, uh, in a sense, trying to get to that place where you're above menopause or above, but uh, just you, you practice with the anxiety of it or the disappointment or even the fury, you know, sort of like, uh, how could this be happening to me? How could God do this to me? Right, something like that. Yeah, so that's the stuff of practice. And the fear, I mean, it's basically fear of death. I mean, underneath it all, I think, for me, that's what it is. I will grow different, separate from all that is dear and appealing to me. Okay, so you understand. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm working with my anxiety. Yeah, yeah. No, that's all I mean. You understand that uh, this is the heart of the practice. It's, uh, it's life itself. It's a, it, it is, and I think it's an, it can be an obstacle sometimes to wanting to continue to practice because it makes it so real. You know, or it can. It can make it so yes. real. Yes. Okay, so what would your option be? You're still going to uh, get old, sick, and die. Yeah. Okay, but you know, here, this. I'm sorry. There's a very maybe the most important point of the whole evening, which I didn't mention uh, intentionally. But uh, you see, the real Buddhist emphasis, uh, the profound emphasis, is not on all this rebirth stuff. There's a popular Buddhism, the stuff with uh, which, if you go to Asia, to the, for the villagers, uh, the, what's the, the real heart of it is, of course. Make the best karma you can. But the important thing is to come to that place which was never born and doesn't die, in other words, the unconditioned. That, or put in, in Buddhist language, to die before you die. That's the ego death. That's what the whole practice is about. Because all the torment is the torment of the ego. It's the ego that is so upset about all this, that it can't run anymore, or you, know, or you can't control your bladder, or whatever it is. Uh, these are just facts that you can't. But the ego doesn't like these facts. You know, it shouldn't be this way. And the practice now and forever is just the way it is. Practice is to see the way it is. And the mind is forever the way it should be, the way it used to be. And then that conflict between the way it used to be, the way it should be. And then life is, keeps insisting on being exactly the way it is. Have you noticed? Yeah. It's just unrelenting. It just insists on being exactly the way it is. Oh, it doesn't stop. Please. No, okay, until we turn. Oh. We say, and one hears it often, and that is that it's the natural way of things to be born, to live, to die, and it's natural. And, you know, it's just a concept. I know it's natural, but, it, 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 but it's still frightening. If it's so natural, why is it so frightening? No, but we, we're denatured. You see, uh, we have not had an education. This is a good time for this quote, and then somebody can pinch me after it. It's a long one, but it's worth it. Um, you see, <clears throat> it isn't natural. It's, it's obviously natural, you know, from the, from the big picture, right? It's just happening. It has, it's, you're not being, what? Exactly. You're not being singled out. And neither am I being, yeah, okay. Uh, this is Krishnamurti, who was my uh, first teacher. And uh, it's towards the end of his life. Uh, this was his last journal. And I, my guess is he must have been about 89 here. He died at just shy of 91. And I'm not going to read all of it, but um, he picks up a leaf. He sees a leaf, and he looks at it, and he sees how beautiful it is, even in death. 
and he wonders why uh, we human beings uh, we don't die with in, with such uh, such kind of beauty that uh, the way this leaf did uh, quite the opposite you know uh, implying because of the way we've lived that we don't die that way you know it's but anyway here's why do human beings I just want to give you a little bit of uh, a background in this particular I think it'll become evident but just to make sure see personally I feel that what we're these five reflections are and what I uh, what I hope we can accomplish for as many weeks as it takes until we go through all five is a re-education. That is, we have not had a proper education about the place of aging, sickness, and death in life. We have subjects on everything. Now it's starting to change. I mean, there are books, books on death all over the place. But many of them are still abstract and just theoretical. It's got to move closer to part of our education. Um, and so... Uh, He's talking, his frame of reference are children, but I would like to suggest that probably most of us did not have an adequate education in terms of these factors of life, which are, they're not trivial, okay? And then suddenly one day we wake up and it's starting to happen to us and to the people in our life and we're inadequate, we're overwhelmed, we don't, we're not equipped. So he's talking about children, but I think he's talking about us as well. Why do human beings die so miserably, so unhappily, with a disease, old age, senility, the body shrunk, ugly? Why can't they die naturally and as beautifully as this leaf? What is wrong with us, in spite of all the doctors, medicines, and hospitals, operations, and all the agony of life, and the pleasures too? We don't seem to be able to die with dignity, simplicity, and with a smile. Uh, don't give up yet. Uh, as you teach children mathematics, writing, reading, and all the business of acquiring knowledge, they should also be taught the great dignity of death, not as a morbid, unhappy thing that one has to face eventually, but as something of daily life, the daily life of looking at the blue sky and the grasshopper on a leaf. It is part of learning as you grow teeth and have all the discomfort of childish illnesses. <clears throat> children have extraordinary curiosity. If you see the nature of death, you don't explain that everything dies, dust to dust, and so on, but without any fear, you explain it to them gently and make them feel that the living and the dying are one. Not at the end of one's life, after 50, 60, or 90 years, but that death is like that leaf. Everything on earth, on this beautiful earth, lives, dies, comes into being and withers away. To grasp this whole movement of life requires intelligence. Not the intelligence of thought or books or knowledge, but the intelligence of love and compassion with its sensitivity. One is very certain that if the educator understands, one means himself, one is very certain that if the educator understands the significance of death and the dignity of, of it, the extraordinary simplicity of dying understand its, understands it not intellectually, but deeply. Then he may be able to convey to the student, to the child, that dying, the ending, is not to be avoided, is not something to be frightened of, for it is part of one's whole life, so that as the student, the child, grows up, he will never be frightened of the ending. One would like an education to bring death into some kind of reality, actuality, not of someone else dying, but of each one of us, however old or young, having inevitably to face that thing. It is not a sad affair of tears, of loneliness, of separation. 
as one looked at that dead leaf with all its beauty and color, maybe one would very deeply comprehend, be aware of, what one's own death must be, not at the very end, but at the very beginning. Death isn't some horrific thing, something to be avoided, something to be postponed, but rather something to be with day in and day out. And out of that comes an extraordinary sense of immensity. Um, that may sound too um, not satisfactory, because finally we all know this seems to be some kind of existential resistance and fear, but you have to understand uh, the urgency of spiritual life has to do with coming to terms, all spiritual life, coming to terms with this existential fact. There are people uh, who do. I don't think there are very many in any generation, although I don't know how I could say that, but there's a good chance there aren't. Um, and I think it has everything to do with how we live. And I think it has everything to do with our, the depth of our understanding of this process. So when we, I, th I include myself with you, uh, look at it from the point of view of where we are, uh, and make a final judgment, that precludes the possibility of a certain kind of uh, transformation in us so that the actual understanding of what this is is experienced rather differently. We cannot help but experience it the way we're experiencing it because of the way we see it, uh, which is based on our conditioning, our education, uh, our likes and dislikes, our fears and so forth, which probably have not been dealt with adequately. And so, I would say the whole point of, 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 uh, of the re-education is at least to some degree uh, to smooth out that whole dimension. So that even though there may be anguish and fear, maybe right to the end, uh, we're still equipped to work with it. We're still equipped to practice right into death, practice uh, uh, to the end. Now, I, I personally do allow, uh, and I have met a couple of my teachers looked me in the eye and told me uh, that they, are, they don't have fear of it. And I, uh, certainly one of them, I believe. Um, do you see what I'm getting at? But the fact that we don't experience it as natural, yeah. yeah. I think you have, yes. Um, it struck me while you were talking. I just got so happy. I'm like, I've heard it before, but like, I really got it when you were talking. Yes. Uh, it just made me wicked happy to realize that, but um, that's not the question. Okay, but can you, qu if you could quit there. No, you can get your question in too. But <laughs> you no, 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 you don't realize what, a, maybe you do, what a big thing you just said. Yeah. Okay. You see, because a life committed to awareness, what I remember when earlier what was mentioned is our challenge is to eat time rather than be eaten by time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what if the if if the practice gets to the point where there's tremendous continuity in this awareness, you know, so that we're really in the timeless present? Uh, the fear of death is a thought; it's an idea about something, and even the moments leading up to it, there's something fulfilling about being intimately and totally connected with the moment. Uh, it's um, the, the continuous present presence. Uh, there is no future, there is no past, there's only now. And so the challenge of the practice is to live fully in this moment, in this moment. And <clears throat> we are dying and being reborn all the time. Those are the, those are the real death and rebirths. So now what's your question? Yeah. Maybe that should be my Quit while you're ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But this is, this, this is like, this 
going to be a big ouch for me to say, but yeah. Like, oh, I like ouch. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think there's two main components. Like I've had a situation in my life where you know I've had to face death, and obviously I've lived because here I am. And um, uh, other people in that situation with me are not alive now. So I have this like, um, which is a, it's a big part of why I'm here, you know. Like, but um, I think there's two main components that come out of it for me, and like how to work with this. Like there's this bizarre like invincibility thing like I faced it and I survived you know so it's like it really plays with my ego and then there's like intense survivor guilt because I'm here and other people aren't yes like, I understand that's a yes what is your question how, what how to practice with that I've been doing a lot of like but metta is going to be limited here. I don't mean yeah. to, to, because, no, see, that's fine. That's fine. Asking. yeah, metta is, is helpful, but you see, it's not going to uproot. Metta doesn't uproot the ego. Uh -huh. It's a concentration practice. It will bring a lot of beauty and it melts the heart. It's extremely useful, as I'm sure you know. But unless you deal, the source of the problem is what? is this sense of self, okay? Uh, the self that feels triumphant and invincible, the self that in some way feels guilty, because, uh, do you see what I'm getting at? Now, you, uh, it's a tricky one, but uh, uh, personally, I've, um, I haven't had that experience. Uh, I have experienced death in, in the military and in other places, but I haven't, not quite, but I've worked with a fair number of people from Holocaust survivors, gulag survivors from, from the old Soviet Union. And you have to be very, very careful here, personally. I mean, I, it's a, a precaution. Uh, because you have to understand, uh, forget about the audacity of thinking that you're invincible. I have a hunch that at some level you know you're not. Yeah. Right. Okay. But the other part, the guilt, uh, often there's an unexamined equation that if you didn't feel guilty, uh, you would uh, be betraying them. Or there's some, some kind of thing in there. Uh, this is the way you show that you really love them and that uh, even you feel badly that they didn't get through it, but you did. And uh, the hard, this can last for years. I, there was one, um, I'm going to go into detail on this and then maybe we'll call it an evening. Uh, a woman who lost her, um, both her parents, in France uh, during the Nazi uh, takeover. Uh, she was a young girl, and she um, uh, saw both her parents loaded onto a, a truck and taken away. She was, I think, eight or nine, and um, she never saw them again. Okay, now, when I met this person, someone at this center, not here anymore, and I'm not going to mention any names, um, she was a, had a PhD, was a successful professor at a major university in this area, uh, and had uh, still was tormented by this. Obviously, it's a serious thing. But the guilt part was there, that how come she as the child, you know, survived and her parents didn't. And when we started to practice with that, and the suggestion that I made a fair number of times that you're going to have to work with that guilt, I didn't tell her, look, the guilt's not helping anything. You're not betraying them. Uh, but actually, what is this guilt about? Become aware of the guilt. She couldn't do it. 
uh, she wouldn't do it, and finally became angry at me because she then she, one point broke off uh, practicing here because she felt that I was callous and how could I understand uh, the situation, uh, the extreme, you know, of losing a parent? Of course, I can't in, in a certain way. Um, she didn't want to let go, of it, and it took. We then she would come back, and we, and it took ten years, but she'd been suffering for, I've, before I met her. Uh, for 50 years. And this guilt part was so uh, necessary for her to hold on to. Uh, and it was finally the day came where she saw that, you know how finally I was able to get through to her? I was desperate. I just said, you know what? I got a little bit annoyed with her. And I said, look, Adolf Hitler had his way. You know, not only did he do in your parents, but he got you too. He's still alive and kicking. Old Adolf is working on you right now. Because look at you, you know, do you, it doesn't bring your parents back. It, and you're, you're suffering day in and day out because of what happened. Uh, can you see the futility of that? And that helped a little bit. And then finally, of course, on her own, she was able to uh, begin to see that she could let go of the guilt and have tremendous love for her parents. The two had nothing to do with each other necessarily. She was a young child. What it, she was helpless. They were helpless. Uh, so the mind can get, we call it delusion, but there can be a fierce belief in a delusion, fierce conditioning, fierce uh, conviction, and a need for it. Uh, and what's hard to understand is that, for example, she, she understands this now, that the best gift she could make to her parents would be to be a happy, fulfilled, wise, compassionate human being, not to be tormented. Do you think if her parents were watching do you think that they would be happy to know that she's tormented by what happened to them? They wouldn't be real parents if they were. Of course not. And so uh, correct practice would really be to face the suffering. It's not to diminish it. And to be able to see into and let go of the, of the guilt out of intelligence, out of wisdom. Do you see what I'm getting at? Kind of. Uh, okay. Um, Forget about you for the moment. Can you understand? Even if you don't get it for yourself, do you understand it for this woman yeah. a little bit? Okay, now what that enables you to do is to then open up a whole new dimension of consciousness because that fierce attachment to guilt is freezing up a tremendous amount of energy that keeps you from growing. Okay, once you see into that guilt, the energy that's held captive in it is released. And then that energy is yours to do as you see fit, to... Uh, enrich your life, to flower, to, to invest it into deeper meditation, to uh, experience some real, to be liberated from the Nazis, finally. Do you see what I, Yeah. Okay. Could we have a moment's silence, please? Thank you for your attention, attention span. Uh, and that's good karma. No one will be reborn as a cockroach as a result. <laughs>
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.